Welcome to the Rika Narrative Podcast, where we advocate a better future through technology. I'm Rizwan Razali, your host for this episode. Our guest for this episode is Marcus Lim, a neuro-linguistic programming master coach. Marcus currently works at an e-commerce company where his main task is to help the organization develop and manage their talent. In this episode, Marcus shares with us on his beliefs on how talent can further be developed even with the advancement of technology and automation. We discuss things such as how processes tend to affect us as individuals and even at an organizational level, and that these processes we have developed as habits can be tweaked and optimized to change the results that we've been getting. Marcus believes that anyone can stay relevant in the age of automation as long as they keep learning and improving themselves. As technology advances, we must also do our best as people to help each other to rise as well. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode and thank you for tuning in. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Reka Narrative. Here with me today on the podcast, I have Mr. Marcus Lim. Marcus! Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. No man, thank you for coming here bro. How was your drive here? Was it, it was good? it was actually pretty good. Yeah. Despite it rained a little bit in the morning, but then after that it kind of cleared up before I started my journey. So it was pretty good. Oh okay mm. okay okay. What was um, some of your favorite things or some of the stuff you noticed when you were driving here? On my drive here, what is uh, something yeah. I noticed? Um, hmm, that's a very good question. <laughs> um, I think actually what caught me by surprise when I came in the address right was uh-huh. how short it was uh, because from where, from where I was. Okay. Because the, I remember um, maybe about six, seven years ago when I used to visit Malawati quite a bit, I had friends here. Okay. It, it would take about 30, 40 minutes. But I today see. it took 15, 20 minutes. Maybe the traffic was... Uh, maybe the traffic, yeah, but yeah. I, I was thinking maybe also because the highway, the, the new highway, don't know how new it was, la, but basically this new highway, the, the highway I took was definitely shorter than the one I took before. So... I know, I know. And the reason why I was surprised is because it got me thinking and reflecting how much we've come as, as, as a nation, you know. From Ooh. back then to now, wow. we have all these new roads and new highways that shortens yeah. the commute to certain things. Uh, but we just take it all for granted. Yes, yeah. we do, right? We mm. really do. Wow, okay, that is... Um, we're going to have to get back to that. <laughs> uh, that's a really big way to, uh, to start the episode, uh, how far we've come as a nation. So can you share with us a little bit about what it is that you do on a day-to-day basis then? Right, okay. Yeah. So I'm currently the head of organization and talent development at Lazada. So okay. everybody knows Lazada. Right. Um, so I've been, and I've been in the L&D talent management space for the last 10 years. Uh, and on the side, I also enjoy coaching this thing called parkour. It's a right. physical sport of overcoming obstacles, overcoming fear. And what really drew me to it was, again, this whole idea of overcoming your difficulties or constraints. Uh, that's what got me into talent management and L&D as well. Wow, okay. So, we, we started on a nation development. <laughs> and we're going to like you... Basically, that's what you like to do. You like to basically help others kind of maybe fulfill their own potential. Is that like something you, if you were to put that in a nutshell? Yes, a, exactly. I and see, and I think I that's see. and I think that's why when I saw the highway, the first thing I thought of was how far how we've far come. we've come, all the the challenges and things we've come overcome together, right? Oh, and how and that is a <laughs> positive positive spin that I hardly hear from. Uh, a lot of us in, in yeah. KL, you know, mm-hmm. because it's just, uh, 
what I would see is traffic and just more congestion. Right. Yep, the fact that yep. you saw development, it, it just gives me, um, you probably have a very unique perspective on things. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, you said that you work for Lazada, right? Mm-hmm. They're um, mainly they're an e-commerce company, if, mm-hmm. uh, we, we, yep. if I'm right yep, on that. Yep. Okay, so what exactly does that mean to be in your position of like um, talent um, building or talent acquisition as well, is it, no? Uh, so talent management. Talent management. Yeah. Okay, so it's different than actually acquiring and hiring people in it's mm, management. Yep. So what does that what does that entail for you? Alright. So the, it's different because in talent acquisition, the idea is just hiring new talents from the outside to come in. And once that team brings them in, then it becomes my job to make sure that these guys stay and grow and develop in the company. Oh. Mm. So that's the difference between talent acquisition and talent management. So acquisition is literally acquiring coming bringing them in. That's and usually HR, right? That's what we're yes. familiar with. Yep, 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 yep. Talent management, is that something new-ish that came about? Oh, or? actually it's been in HR for quite a bit also. Um, but I guess you could say that smaller companies don't have a talent management team. They're, they're more focused on just hiring. And normally the person that hires is also the chief operations officer, la, also the admin. La, you know, it's all one in one, all, all, in, one. all in one, right? In smaller organizations. Uh, in larger organizations like MNCs or even Lazada, yeah. there is a dedicated team just, just looking at how we develop each and everybody in the company. Wow. Yeah. So, so part of the job scope is like, for example, we have about 900 people right now in Lazada. Mm. And out of the 900, we want to identify who are the more potential and important talents that can become future leaders in the company. Got it. And then we then take those pool of people and we make sure we invest in them, we send them for training, for coaching, to make sure that number one, they stay. Right. <laughs> and okay. number two, okay. uh, they also get to grow and develop themselves. So as people, I notice people are staying more for growth. Uh, in right. the past, people right. stay because I have a job, I'm loyal to my company, mm. they stay for 20 years. Mm. These days, people, every one, two years, they just jump, right? And it's because they're looking to see if they can grow and develop in that organization or they have to go out. I see. So my job is to make sure that they grow and develop and stay. Right, right, right. So it's it's interesting because um, I'm guessing just ten or twenty years ago during our parents' meeting time, uh, self development in a company is almost uh, can't say unheard of, but it's not very common. You don't talk, they don't talk about that, right? It's yeah, like precisely. Somebody comes in, the company takes care of us, the benefits, and that's it. That's it. Story. Yep. Yeah. So maybe because you know this newer generation we have a bit more affluence, I suppose, right? We're not as hard-pressed when it comes to just uh, cash or whatever. Other priorities start setting in as well because I said I could just leave and go to another company. They pay me the same. Mm. Might as well, you know, um, you just get a bit more and the loyalty disappears just because you know that the next one I jump, uh, salary increase and, yep. and all that. But then people stay for the other the other things, correct. The other things. Okay. And, and it's interesting how you mentioned in the past, people are more hard-pressed of cash, right? So yep. if you look at Maslow's hierarchy, okay. the bottom layer is about food, needs, shelter, stability, and that's where our parents were, that's right? They're trying it. to settle that's that. It. That's it. And we were very lucky. Yes. We grew up in a place yeah. where all that is settled so we could go to the next stage, which is about uh, possibly even relationships or self-esteem. That's right. That's right. And development and growth is about self-esteem. It's about what am I worth? Oh my God. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah, so yeah. absolutely on point in your reflection. Yeah, okay. So yeah, because it's okay. There's a few more things I kind of want to get back onto that, Robert. But just before we get to that, I just kind of want to touch a little bit on the company that you work on, which yep. is Lazada and like mm. e-commerce, right? Mm. So the thing is, right, um, can you share a little bit on the current status of where e-commerce is at today and where do you think 
it's going to be heading towards in the future. Okay, good. Yeah. So, so, when, so e-commerce started in, in Malaysia or in Southeast Asia around 2012. So it's actually been only 10 years that e-commerce has been around. Before that, we... It's only been 10 years? Yes, it's only been 10 years. Feels like forever. Feels right? like Feels forever. forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, and, and, and Lazada was the first, ever, ever first e-commerce that started in this region. Okay. Um, and it's been 10 years. Of course, we hear about Amazon and Alibaba way that's before right. that. That's right. But yeah. we've never had access to them in Southeast Asia. Yes, that's true. So, so the reason why I brought it up is because um, in the beginning, it was really all about price cuts and promotions. Mm. Um, but we found that price cuts and promotions can only bring a buyer that far. Because okay. once the price is uh, much cheaper somewhere else, then they just shift. So they're just really moving with price. Okay. So, so I think e-commerce has moved away, moved from uh, having the best deals compared to the offline market to having an end-to-end -end fulfillment satisfaction. That's where the logistic part come in. I see. I see. Yeah. Okay. Because it's about kind of customer service. Like, right. Why would I buy from an online platform if I can just go to the shopping mall and get it myself? That's true. The benefit would be I get it in my home faster for example, right? Mm -hmm. So the logistic bit came in. And all the way to now, it's become, uh, and, and this is a bit bold to say, right? But I think it's become an alternative, or uh, not alternative, but a, a way for people to become recession-proof. Recession-proof, okay. Let me explain, okay? Right, okay, okay so okay, okay. before the pandemic, uh, we had pretty good traffic. Right. But when the pandemic hit and everything closed, the companies that, had, that was forced to close shop was forced to go online. Right. So in a recession right. where business cannot run, e-commerce can enable those sellers to run. Ah. And buyers who couldn't go out could then get things delivered to their home. Right. So one thing, what, uh, not just one thing, but there were a few good things that happened for us in the pandemic. Right. But one very big tra uh, change was that uh, we, had very, we had okay penetration on e-commerce, mm -hmm. but it definitely spiked up during the pandemic because now everybody had to shop, shop online. online. I see. Yeah. So you, we're, looking, we're talking about like, it used to be like maybe 100,000 per day, parcels per day, right. to 10 million parcels a day now. Now? Yeah. From during the pandemic stage till currently where we are right now. This yeah, is correct. In fact, that, that, that increase right, was just within six months um, oh. in, during the pandemic. Wow. Yeah, during the lockdown. Holy. Okay. And of course, when we start, start to open up, we, of course, e-commerce was, was concerned. Like, right, uh, yeah. will, will the traffic go down? Because people uh, now can shop offline, can sure. go out. Sure. Would, would it go down? And we noticed that it didn't go down. It didn't go down, right. Because the habit has already been created. I see, I see. So now there are certain things that people will buy online. And there's other things people will still prefer to buy offline. But that amount of things they buy online still kind of stays the same. It, of course, it dropped a little bit. Right. But not as much as we thought. I see, I see. So when I say recession proof, because when a recession now in the future, so now I was talking about what's happening now. Right. Now let's go into the future, right? And I say recession could be a recession proofed uh, mechanic for us because when recession hits, people go out less because mm. they don't want to spend the money for petrol, for parking right. and things and they don't want to go out and eat, they want to eat at home. Yep. Yep. And people are looking for alternatives. So instead of buying a, I don't know, a LV bag, they might move down to a Zara. Right. If they can't afford a Zara, they might go down to, I don't know, a, a brand that's cheaper, that's more cheaper, affordable. Right. Yep. And e-commerce can flex either way. That's it. Yeah, yeah, okay. Whereas shopping malls, once they're there, they're there. It's true. You have uh, the branded store, it's the branded store, right? Yep. You know, as opposed to e-commerce, you could look through all these different price ranges of the same brand and you can click... Um, Again, um, what would fit 
fit you in that sense, right? Correct. Within half an hour, you can look at so many different brands exactly. all together, right? Exactly. Right. So yeah. if I want to cut my, my daily expenses, uh, I, I, all I have to do is take out my phone and then search for uh, sellers who are selling things at a cheaper rate. And I can already start managing my, my, my expenses that way. So we've noticed this trend, not just in Malaysia, but in Thailand and Vietnam. So during the, the lockdown, especially when people could not go out and buy enough, right. e-commerce actually went up because right. we could provide buyers with cheaper items. Right, right. So a lot of how you guys handle, um, manage e-commerce in that sense, what makes it successful is the automation part as well, right? Mm. The processing. Definitely, that, yeah. Because you can't have one person handling 10 million orders a day. So that's why you can have 10 million orders a day because yes. of the, the processing and the system that you have in built and all this. So that, I think, is, is fascinating that that's there. But do you think that in a lot of ways, it's also kind of made the human aspect a bit redundant, you know? Mm. Because like, that's what you do, you're, you're talent management there, right? Yep. But then once you have this big machine that's handling a big chunk of the business, right? Then where do, yeah, that, that human resource or talent yeah. would come okay. in? Okay, yeah. so, so with the company of like Lazada, it wasn't that apparent, to be very honest. So in my previous life, I was in digital telecommunications. Okay, um, okay. And um, <laughs> this, this question about automation, digitization, and how it makes people redundant has been a conversation for ages, ages right? Yeah. Long time. Since even a typewriter. Right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, to be to be fair, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, or if you go all the way back to the industrial revolution, you right. used to need ten men to assemble a car. Right. Now with automation, uh, You're using one guy to operate, press the buttons, and like. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So, so I would say this. Like, based just based on my observation, there are three categories of people getting so-called redundant. Mm. The first category is that even after automation that role is still required. So okay. it feels like I'm going to be redundant, but actually that role is still required. So for example, right. uh, in the FMCG world, they used to do their planning on a monthly basis because mm. they would distribute out their products to their restaurants or their distributors. And those distributors or vendors will only report back after one month after the sales has been made. Mm. So then FMCG companies can do their promotion planning month on a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. And, and, and they're stuck with that because people had to fill in reports, deliver it to the HQ, HQ processes it, and then they see, okay, how am I going to land in my next quarter? Right, right. The automation they did was they create a portal where the vendors can key in the information directly and they didn't need to do it manually. That's an, a form of automation. All right. 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 So instead of filling up a paper, they are an Excel, yeah. they key into the system, system immediately runs a report, right. comes back to the HQ, and that's, it, yeah. and that's it. And instead of doing a monthly planning, they did a two-week planning, bi-weekly planning right. instead. Right. So it's faster, and then now we clear also. So they automate the process of reporting, hmm. but the role in the HQ of still needing exists. to, yeah, still exists. And the role in the vendor who is doing the sales still exists. Right. So that's the first group. Yeah. So those guys basically need to, basically we're automating certain routine things so they can focus on more important tasks, yes. which is strategy and stuff. Yes, yes. Okay. The second group is then you may actually lose, I don't know, 50% of the workforce. Right. Or made redundant, so-called. Made redundant, so-called. So one example I can think of is chatbots. Yes. Right, so yes, maybe, yes. maybe you need 10 customer care people to, uh, re to reply to a customer. Mm -hmm. But with a chatbot who's supposed to take care of 80% of the common queries, right. um, there should be 80% less work. Right. So then you, instead of needing 10, maybe you need 3 or 4. Mm. So that's the second group. And I can't, we can't deny it that there will be that, some people that will happen. That will happen. Sure. 
Um, but the number is quite, the, the, the area of impact is quite small. Like most of the automation to redundancy uh -huh. impact happens in the first category. I see. Then the I second see, category, maybe about 50-60%. The second category, maybe about 20-30%. Right. And then the last 5-10% is the ones that really don't have a job. Don't really have a job. Yeah, but it's it, very small. It's, it's um, yeah, in, in, in a large scale of things. Right. Uh, the example I can think of is um, parking attendants and toll booths. Yes. With the yes. introductions of touch and go right. and all that stuff, right. visa, pay, you know, touch pay and all that. Mm -hmm. um, nowadays in shopping malls, we don't see parking attendants at the no. booth. No. There's no exactly. booths anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Touch and go. It's just everything. It's just uh, even kind of reloading is on the spot, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, but even in that one, if let's say there are ten people doing the touching one, uh -huh. they still need one person in the management office. Right. Right. Just to make sure everything's in order. Yeah. So it's not like complete, complete redundancy, like, In that sense, right? Correct. So, so the the I guess the the thing that some of these people need to know is that if you I mean if you notice that uh, one of your jobs are very routine, mm. it can be automated. Mm. Then there is a need for upskilling themselves. And I'm scaling the individual. An individual. Yeah, because that's uh, going to be the next question I would ask, right? Because ah, okay. In terms of, although you're, you're talking from the, uh, the percentage um, stage and all this, mm -hmm. and you're absolutely right that this whole question of redundancy is not even a new thing. It's been talked about even in, from the industrial age and everything's kind of, you know, factories mm -hmm. and all this has started coming around, right? Is that all said and done, um, the anxiety is still very high mm. on everyone and how would you know the average um, worker um, get over that hurdle of the anxiety of like, I'm gonna be made, be made yeah. redundant yeah. 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 so sorry yes. okay yeah. so uh, I think I think the reason why anxiety is a lot more apparent today is for two reasons mm. the first one is the speed of how this is happening is much faster now Okay. Back then, maybe it takes 10, 20, 30, 40 years right. for redundancy to happen. Yeah. Now, maybe 5, 10 years, right? Yeah, because yeah. you mentioned e-commerce only been around for 10 years and I feel like we've been living like this for a really long yeah. time. Like, right. you know, and, and I'm like, oh, if it's 10 years, means that it could have only been 5 or 6 years since uh, online shopping was just this common. You know? Yeah, so, okay. Okay, exactly. The speed. Okay, right, the speed. So, speed is definitely faster now. And number two, Social media has allowed us to uh, reflect and see more of this. I mean, the more you see it, the more you feel it too, and it reflects. Right? So you may not feel anxiety at first, but because you see it on social media, suddenly you're like, oh, damn, I, I might be one of them. I see. So, I see. so I'm, just, I'm just trying to reflect on why is it more apparent now okay. compared to before. Okay. Um, so with that in mind, so, how, so what would be the advice or how, how would these people go through it, right? Um, first of all, I think it's... It's no easy situation to be in if you're in one of these roles. Mm. And um, people are talking about their rice bowl and family and all that. And there's no easy way, honestly speaking, to overcome the anxiety right. other than to start, think, start looking around and thinking about what other jobs or skills that you want to pick up. And uh, just three, four years ago, we talked about the slash generation. We are in the slash generation. Slash generation, okay. Meaning to say, I am... Uh, so, for example, I'm an L&D person at the same time. I'm a corporate person, sorry, corporate worker. At the same time, I'm a parkour coach. At the same time, I'm also an NLP coach. So, I have different skill sets cutting across different industries. Okay, okay. I'm going to stop you right there in terms of uh, you mentioned um, the, the things that you do, right? Uh, aside from your day job, you're a parkour coach. 
physical training, mm -hmm. going through obstacles. You mentioned also NLP coach. Yep. Can you uh, describe? Expand that a bit. Yeah. So NLP stands for Neuro Linguistics Programming. Okay. It is a framework on how our brain processes information through language. Right. And right. that framework is also used to help coach people out of their anxiety, out of their limiting beliefs. Out of their limiting mm. beliefs. Okay. So this is quite a big thing, I suppose, right? And um, the, the theme of belief seems to come up quite a bit, I think, in the, the podcast so far. There's a few people who spoke about this here and there. Can you kind of expand a bit on what do you mean on your helping people right. through this self-limiting belief? And what are usually the common kind of like um, blockade for someone to kind of you know, overcome that, that self-limitation? Okay, all right. Uh, now, obviously, this is a huge one, right? So I'll try to um, maybe give a, a teaser of what that looks like. Okay. I, I find limiting beliefs generally have um, two, two types. One, which is I call it a cause and effect. Cause and effect. Right? So right. If, I don't, if I don't pay attention on this, I'm going to make a mistake. Okay. That's a limiting belief, right? If I don't pay attention on this, I'm going to make a mistake. Wait, that's a limiting belief? That's a li okay, I'll tell you why. Oh, so this oh. is from a client that I have. If I right. don't pay attention to this, I'm going to make a mistake. And the focus is all about make, making sure they don't make a mistake, mistake as opposed to focusing on actually doing the task. I see. Yeah? I see. So, so uh, I need to do A, okay? And I'm supposed to be focusing on A, but because my mind says, if I don't pay attention on B, I'm going to make a mistake. And so then your entire focus goes to B and mm. instead of doing A and then mm. you make a mistake, mm. right? Mm. Um, so, so that's what I call a cause and effect belief. There's also what I call a complex equivalence. They have complex made... Complex equivalence, mm. right. Uh, when people don't speak to me, it means I am useless. I see, I see. That's I see, probably a more common one, right? More common, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, 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 it, it plays out in different contexts in life. So at work, if nobody talks to that person, that person feels that, oh, that means I'm not doing well at work. Uh, right. If nobody right. talks to me at home, that means my family thinks I'm useless and I need to speak up more, I need to overcompensate. Some, like, some do that. Right. Or some just hide into the shell and keep quiet, right? Different people react differently. Yep. Yep. It becomes a limiting belief though when it stops them from achieving what they want to achieve. I see. So for example, if yeah. someone says, I'm a lazy person. Right. And it's okay, so how's that a problem? Yeah. Uh, so no problem, I'm just very lazy. But because I'm lazy, I find the most efficient way to do things. Right. Then it's not a limiting belief. It's not a limiting belief. Yeah. Not so it. Bill Gates said, right, if you want to find an efficient way of doing something, find a lazy, lazy person. person. Right. <laughs> right. 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 So, so the problem with limiting beliefs is a lot of people try to impose dias onto others without understanding the context. Okay. Right. So if someone says I'm lazy and we believe that being lazy is bad, we're going to say you need to change, you need to improve. I see. But actually, Zimbabwe, they don't have to. Because they can still get things done. They still get things. To them, right. being lazy is good because I find the most efficient way to do things so right. that I can lazy around later. That's right. That's right. That, that could definitely, you could, the definition of something sometimes is uh, important as well, right? Yep. Like you could have lazy means that I don't want to do anything or you could have lazy in terms of I want to get things done, but you know the best and most efficient way possible without me having to break my back. Mm. And 
that second one's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Precisely. Oh, yeah, right, right, so, right, right. so, so when it comes to beliefs, uh, first one is: Does it block a person from achieving what they want to achieve? And generally, especially for those who are listening, mm. maybe you can start to reflect on yourself. What are some things you say to yourself that has a cause and effect relationship? Oh man! What are some things that has a complex equivalence relationship? Ooh, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. That's a uh, that's a deep one right there. So mm-hmm. cause and effect, and uh, what was the second one? The complex. Uh, it's called complex equivalent, but complex basically equivalent. it means uh, if I am this, therefore it means I'm that. Right. This is A right, equals to B. Right, right, right. I can think of uh, how I'm guilty of both things actually. <laughs> you know, and uh, I'm guessing. You meet a lot of people who have this kind of um, self dialogue, I suppose, that yep. creates these things, mm-hmm. right? So you, as a, as your, if you do your NLP work and we work with clients, then what are some of the first few steps you would guide them to mm-hmm. kind of get through that this? Um, yeah, I would say habit, I suppose, of us talking and kind of believing in, yeah. in this narrative, right? Yeah, I like that you use the word habit. Okay, you know why? Because <laughs> yeah. a habit implies that you are the one that started doing it and it became a habit. That's it. And because you recognize that you started it, you also can choose to stop it. I see. Okay. Some people say born with. That's a bit harder. Okay. Right. Because that, that's a belief too, right? I believe I'm born with fear. I had one client that said that. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. So, what are the steps, right? So, so um, I guess one of the things that so okay, one of the clients that came to me said, "I'm very inconsistent, and because I'm inconsistent, I can't get what I want." Mm. So, the first one is to uncover where that belief came from, mm. and what I find is it usually does come from our childhood or from our parents. I see. Yeah. So, yeah. of course, there's a few intervention, a few questioning techniques we go through to uncover where it came from, and then she found out actually it is a parent that calls her inconsistent. That's why she believes she's inconsistent. I see. Yeah. I see, I see. And, and how I challenge her is because she start telling me things like, "Oh, in my past, I I was a straight A student because I wanted to get that scholarship." So I was like, "Doesn't that mean you're very consistent in studying and exactly, getting the A?" Exactly. Then she's like, "Oh, yeah, that's true." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then she said, "Then I asked her what are other examples you're inconsistent or consistent, right?" Right. She gave another example that says, "Oh, I love playing the guitar, so I've been playing with it, but I never show my parents, right? Because my parents would say something about it. But I love playing guitar, so I continue playing guitar." Uh, but she stops certain things like making candles. She stopped on like uh, uh, there's a other other hobby that she did, but she also stopped. Right. And so her parents will say that she's inconsistent because she stops all these other hobbies. But the hobby that she loves that she doesn't share, she's been doing it consistently. She's been doing it consistently. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So so actually after a while she realized that it was because her parents keep labeling her that she's inconsistent. It's the labels, yeah. Yeah. That she then believe it. And because she believes it, the mind forgets times where she was consistent. I see. I see. Yeah. So the first step is we uncover where it came from. The root of it all. Yeah. yeah. And number two, we start to also find out instances where the belief is not true. Because when you have a limiting belief, it only limits your memory. That's it. It's limiting the evidence that you have. Mm-hmm. And because of a certain statement, um, you forget that you are also. That uh, that that events in the past that disproves the limiting belief. That's right. Mm. Okay. Okay. Mm. Wow. That is um, that's that's huge, man. I think you know for the audience as well. I'm not sure if uh, anyone else is like me in that sense. So like, I can really um, relate to that and kind of really understand that. And it's so easy to to get caught up in the again the the, the habit or the negative mm. storylines that you have, and it's so hard to find those things that that kind of disprove. Correct. Uh, the stories because it's it's tough, and you even mentioned earlier how something like social media sometimes can even aggravate certain of these beliefs and narrative, right? Of like, oh, so and so, you don't do it 
consciously even and sometimes that's why it's scary right yeah, yeah because you're thinking like oh look at this person they're like you know, at this age but they've had everything figured out because you see one snippet mm, of that right? exactly and and that's it about i feel like you know that technology is really great on one hand but on the other hand do you think it can sort of also aggravate these things um and and with it aggravating these things where do you think also where where is the role of technology when it comes to just um, us developing as human beings you know yep. would it be something positive or something else and yeah so w- how would we overcome that then yeah oh that's us? a very good yeah. question <laughs> uh yeah so for, to your first question i do believe that social media technology does aggravate some of these beliefs uh it reinforces it right okay. so if for example our parents says hey you've been you've not been achieving anything look at your cousin look at your brother mm. and then you go on social media and you see all your other friends are the same age i don't know getting married yes, getting yes, jobs yes, uh, yes, and you yes. feel certain things right yeah. so absolutely um technology can definitely help and definitely hinder us mm-hmm. um but just like every other tool um technology is a tool so i think the first thing that mm, we need to remember is that do we want technology to use us or do we want to use technology um so for example a hammer can be used to build furniture nice. or a, or a hammer can be used to to kill somebody <laughs> Wow, okay. Wow, <laughs> I'm taking it very far, yeah, right? Yeah, I'm taking it very far. Like you're saying built furniture and I was imagining like, you know, destroying um a wall. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, like, immediately we're going to go to that extreme. Yeah. Right? Okay, got it. Okay, um yeah. but is it is, is it the hammer's fault? Not so much. Not so much. Not so <laughs> it's much. again us, right? right? So maybe the first thing is to recognize that we have control over oh, technology. technology. Uh and and the word control is very powerful for humans because when we give up control, we then let technology affect us. Right. But when we regain control and realize that actually technology doesn't affect us, we affect ourselves. Mm. Then we can start the process of of healing or discovery. Right. Uh, and of course, it's it's um, <laughs> easier said than done. Of course. Yeah. But I, I I thought of something. I think this is a very, maybe a good 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 place to share this because I see a lot of people going through social media detox, mm. Mm. and there are some that works and some that don't. Mm. Mm. And I kind of found out why sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Okay. So when you're being affected by something like social media and it's totally natural and normal to be affected by it because there are a lot of negative stuff going up as well yeah, yeah? so yeah. whoever is listening just be just remember it's totally normal and it's okay yeah. to be affected by it yeah and uh, then if you find that you want to detox or get away from it you shut it off most right. people shut it off yeah now the thing what happens is when you shut social media off you've created a void in your mind that's it Another, yeah, yeah. yeah right and when you have a void it is what you fill it in with next so some people fill it in with netflix movies some people fill it fill it in with meeting people socializing around mm-hmm. um and the question to ask is when you fill those in is it just a distracting a distraction another form of distraction yeah right. just another form of distraction or is it actually um adding value to your life uh. so so how do you know this Now when you shut social media off or anything for that matter okay. a good question to ask is for what purpose do you do it for mm. Now if you're shutting social media off for the purpose of focusing more on your business mm. focusing more on your work mm. focusing more on your relationships mm. then you want to list down three or four things that you want to start doing that will help you improve your relationship or help you improve your work or help you improve your business So for example one of my clients shut social media off because she wanted to focus more on herself. Right. 
Uh, but before this, she would just go out and hang out with friends. Right. That's a distraction. That's a distraction on its own, yeah. Right. So if the goal of so shutting off social media is to be spend more time for yourself, then I gave her homework like, okay, maybe in times where you use social media, journal instead. Right. Read a book. Read a book, yes. Um, exactly. Avoid and really avoid any digital form of entertainment because it's just another form of social media. Better, yeah. uh, like Netflix sure. and stuff. It, yeah. So do things that are more analog. Okay. Away from technology, right? So if you're so dependent on technology, then remove yourself from technology, do something more analog. Analog meaning gardening, reading a book, cleaning the house, swimming, rock climbing, rock climbing right? whatever. Yes, yeah. but, it, but for her, that in that case, because she wants to get closer to herself, to understand herself better, she needs to do activities related to that. Mm-hmm. If not, it becomes a distraction, right? So I guess before you shut, shut social media off, or if you want to get yourself out of a self-doubt loop, right. you want to make sure you fill the void with something that helps you progress. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And to know what helps you progress, it cannot be everything. So sure. you got to choose sure. one context. One context, just mm. one first. Because mm. otherwise it will be too much to handle and you'll just end up giving up anyways and thinking that... And you go back to social media. <laughs> social media, it's a vicious cycle, right? Yeah. Oh like, yeah. Uh, I think uh, I know that story way too well then. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, okay. So, okay, that's the element on like the self, right? I like that, that you mentioned all these different things and you know, and, and it's very real because, you know, especially when it comes to even being relevant in the job market and all this, it goes back to the person as well. But at the same time, in terms of, you know, skill sets and all this, do you think with technology right now, are there, should there be any skill sets that we should focus on considering mm. that yeah, yep. so many things are happening so fast, right? Yep. Like we are mentioning that, you know, even I remember we're talking about 10 years of e-commerce. I remember not too long ago, maybe 15 or 20 years, they used to say, um, oh, if you want, you know, a sure job that um, recession proof, <laughs> that was another thing, right? Yo, uh, be an accountant. Mm. Technology came about. Yeah. Accountants are the first ones to go in terms <laughs> of that old profession yep. that seems yep. to be yeah, yeah. So yeah, so what would be some skills you think people need to pick up right now in this, okay. in this right. So good that you mentioned accountant because I had an example for about accountants. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, okay, that's good. That's, that's good. good. All right, all right. Absolutely, right? Yeah. Uh, we have financial, we have zero, all kinds of accounting tools in the market right now. Um, that doesn't need accountants. Yeah. But they do need CFOs. They do need um, so there, there is accounts management and there's finance management, mm-hmm. um, and and typically they go up right from accountant to finance. So the whole debit credit thing, yes, that can be automated. But what can't be automated is financial decisions. So the very first skill we notice that it's very important in our day and age is the the ability to problem solve and make decisions. Yeah, okay. and, and it can be as simple as this, right, to, pra- to start practice. So people sometimes think, how do I even start practicing this? It's so, such a huge concept. The easiest thing is really when your boss or people around you give you a problem, instead of just wondering why and all how, uh, just make an attempt to provide three solutions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you can't decide between three solutions, ask your boss to choose one. Or you can say, these are three solutions I recommend B. Okay. Or C, whatever, right? right? Just the habit of, if you face a problem, the habit of thinking of three solutions on your own and recommending one is already training you in problem solving and decision making. Right. Why do I emphasize this so much? Because I've noticed in the workplace, especially younger generations, when they face a problem, what they do is they go to the boss and say, ah, boss, I got this problem, what should we do? Okay. So if you keep doing that, you're leaving the problem solving to your boss. 
Okay. If you ask, what should I do? But if you then tweak it a bit and say, boss, I have a problem. I have, I'm thinking we can do A, B, or C. I think C is going to be the best one. But I need your clearance. I, I need your clearance. I need, what do you so think? So that's two very different approach, you think? You know, yeah. Like, oh, okay. In terms of okay. a mental process, it's very different. I because see. in the first one, you've dumped the entire problem onto your boss lab. Ah. In the second one, you have already thought of three solutions and you ask yourself, why these three and why did I choose C? So that process is already training your critical thinking and problem solving. Whether your boss agrees or not, that's a separate case. Right. All right. But that process is very important. That's the first step. Right. Then the second step or the second skill is communication. Right. Yeah. That's when you try to convince your boss C is still the right one. Right. right? Maybe your boss says it should be A or yeah. maybe D. And then how do you convince them actually is C, if you really believe you're right. Lah. Yeah. So problem solving decision making is the first skill set that you should start thinking of, training. Oh, right. Second one is communication, communication skills. skills. Because so far, as far as you can see, technology can't automate these two things. So far. So yeah. no, but I mean like, you know, they, they, they joke about like how technology could do it, but at the same time, it's never going to be as precise and human beings are nuanced with nuanced problems, problems as well. And you just kind of constantly you still need that human touch, right, I suppose. Exactly. Right? Okay. Especially okay. the communication and the relationship building part. Which I guess we need that the most, more than ever today. We've always needed it, but right now, yeah, you know, like you said, um, we're so glued to our gadgets sometimes that mm. we forget the very basic, just how do you talk to somebody, right? Exactly. And it's, exactly. it's, it's sad. Like, I do see that in younger generation, you know, mm. like, um, it's not like we're that old, but you know what I mean, right? <laughs> yes. I see like, why, why is this so difficult? I understand that when we were, I understand, you know, being 13 or whatever, um, communication is a scary thing, mm. right? But it's just another level right now of just like, wait, we can't even, you can't is even it, react yeah. normally to a situation like this? How could this be, you know? Like, mm. um, okay. I'll it's not so common anymore, right? Especially no, generation no. that was stuck at home for a whole year. Exactly. Oh, it's um, very sad. Yeah, very it's sad. even harder for them to, yeah. surprisingly, it's harder for them to and, come and in. And that, that also depends because if you have um, a good kind of, you know, family environment, then maybe it becomes easier because you're finally connecting with your parents. But if your, you know, um, family is not very good in communication as well, they're right, they're going to be more distant once mm. they leave um, the homes. Holy crap. Yeah. So, so I do find uh, problem solving and decision making and also um, communication skills and relationship the two okay. most key soft skills. Okay. Uh, I do have one technical skill that I think everybody should also get okay. in this day and age. So, so it, I, I think to a certain extent, everybody is quite, at this generation, quite familiar with the mechanical knowledge. For example, right? Everybody has somehow rather built an IKEA furniture or if not IKEA pun, yeah. something from China, right? Sure, sure. It gets shipped in a box and then they built it. So yeah. they understand how screws and, and, and hinges work. Right. And because you understand how screws and hinges work, you know how to manipulate the physical stuff. Right. Likewise, but not, as not many people know how technology works or digital technology works. Okay. okay. Right. A lot of people don't know that behind every software is just a bunch of tables and databases right. and a bunch of code that connects these tables together. Right. And I do find people in the workplace who understand some basic level of coding or some how tables and databases work because they understand they a little bit of that. Level, yeah. ah, they understand how to then push the business forward better. Ayo. As opposed to those who have no clue on how this works, they get left behind. It's as simple as um, how many of us can explain how a smartphone works, right? Like mm. what exactly, like we understand the basic, you know, people say, oh yeah, there's a computer processing. Just these terms you throw around. But yeah. beyond that, if you ask me to tweak anything in the phone, I'll be like, okay, be quite lost in translation. 
Yeah. So I find people who do a short course on coding or some app development, they're usually better off. They don't have to do very deep, lah, but just some basic level, they're usually better off. Would it be because of the processing as well, thought processing, or is it just the skill you think that? Oh, okay. Because, yeah, sorry, just to, mm. before this, right, uh, just gonna put this question in one, right? Because um, you mentioned a lot about processing quite a bit. And I kind of want to ask you, do you think that um, the physical processing as much as the mental one kind of connects, right? Because you, you do parkour, which is mm. a very physical sport, but so far, in the last, you know, almost hour or so, you've talked a lot about mental place mm. and mental mm. kind of processes. Almost like um, human beings, you know, we need um, like a good process just as much as a machine does. You know, we're not yep. Yep. a machine, but maybe it's more important for us to have that process than anything else, right? And uh, whether it's physical or mental. So can you just kind of... Um, right. okay. yeah. Oh, I love that, that how you phrased that question on how... Absolutely, I think you're spot on. Uh, I myself didn't notice that we've talked a lot about mental processes, but right. essentially, um, when I talked about learning how to code, it is not about the skill. Okay. It's about understanding the concept on how the machine works from a code level, so that if you're looking to... I don't know, if you're looking to pull a data point, you're looking to tweak a function, you sort of kind of know what it takes to get there. And because you know what it takes to get there, you're better off in this new digital world. I see. Uh, so it's not about the skill, absolutely. It's not about, okay. It's about the mental process of understanding how A plus B equals to C. And if you understand the concept, it can be applied across various contexts. Right. A skill sometimes is context limited. Right. Like if you only know how to code, but you don't know how to explain how code works, then you only become a developer. Right. But the developer who knows how to explain their code and it will teach others can then become a manager of developers. Right. You know? So, um, when it relates to physical, right, at the end of it, our physical uh, process will help us to know whether we are in the right place or not or wrong, meaning to say whether we get the results we want. Mm -hmm. So, the mental process is like the staging area. Mm -hmm. We imagine how something could be. And then the physical part, the physical process then allows us to execute that mental process right, right. and to see whether we get the results we want. If not, tweak the mental process, channel it back to the physical, and then it goes like a flywheel. Okay, okay. Um, the challenge is, a lot of people don't have mental process, they have physical process. Oh, you think so? I think so, yeah. Okay. Maybe they have a mental process, but they're not aware of it. Right, I, think right. I, th I think I changed my words. Okay, they have a mental aware. process. Everybody has a mental, mental process. process. It's impossible you don't have one. Right but they may not be aware of what that mental process is and how it's affecting them eh? and how it's affecting the Got physical it. process Got so it. because they're not aware they can't tweak it okay. right so if we are aware of our mental process we can then tweak our physical process to generate the outcome you want and based on the results feedback again um, then that would that could make us more effective humans more effective, right? yeah. mm. okay so uh, I've, i think a very good example of mental process is for example it's this ingrained in all of us right so when you're driving a car and you see a red light, what do you do? You want the honest answer? Or <laughs> the Malaysian the answer? Malaysia, the, the, like the normal like one. Like the normal will stop. Of course, stop right. you, yeah, you yeah, start yeah. to, you see you're driving uh, at whatever speed, you right. see a red light, you start to brake and you all that, right? Break, yeah. So the mental process says red means stop, right. green means go, yellow to some people means go faster. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's it. That's it. <laughs> right? Um, so, so that's the mental process, right? Red means stop. Stop, yeah. And then the physical process would be that, okay, then therefore I'm going to step on the brake and stop. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, then if I will take it a bit further, 
in 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 our undang undang in our undang in our driving test, driving right? Test, right? We were right. told that we need to be two seconds away from the car in front of us. Yes. So the process is when I'm driving and I see the car pass that light, I count one, two, then the light passes me. Right. That's a mental process that we've been taught. Right. So then when we go into the car and we start driving, some of us use it, some of us don't. And so if you're aware of the mental process, you will then ask yourself, what is my mental process for driving? Do I actually look at the light or do I just see, make sure that my bumper doesn't touch the front car? So, so, um, so let's say, for example, the mental process is, I'm just going to be driving onto the bumper. And then suddenly one day, that car emergency breaks and you hit that car. That is a feedback from the real world, right? Mm -hmm. So the mental process say, drive until you see the bumper. Physical process say, therefore do it until you see the bumper. Mm -hmm. But the outcome is I get into an accident. Mm -hmm. People that go through that will then tweak the mental process and say, you know what? I'm not going to drive until the bumper. I'm going to leave at least one car distance in the future. And they may do that for about six months. Okay. And then they go back to whatever is convenient that's for them. It, that's it, yeah. Yeah? So that's how a mental process affects the physical. Because the, f the second mental process is I'm going to leave one car distance. Right. So the physical process will then make sure that when I drive, I leave one car distance. To achieve the outcome of what? To achieve the outcome of not getting into an accident. Right. Um, I remember when I was younger, when I started driving, I only looked at the front car's red light. I see. And my auntie would say, brake. And I'd be wondering, why brake? The guy hasn't braked yet. And I found out that her mental process was I look at the two, three cars in front ah, to predict what's going to happen now. Right. That's experience. <laughs> see, right? So my aunt would be, look, three cars in front, they are breaking. If the, car, if the three cars in front breaking, second car in front will break, your car is going to break in another two seconds. Ah, so she will always have that additional edge. Okay, okay. So what differentiates an experienced person to a non-experienced person? the experienced person have more mental processes that are refined to the real world. I see. And it has nothing to do with age. Right. Because right. you have young entrepreneurs who are very successful, people the same age who are not entrepreneurs, right? Because mm -hmm. those entrepreneurs have tried more things, refined their mental process better in order to translate that to a physical process mm -hmm. and get the outcome they want. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wow, okay, that's, that's so fascinating. I just kind of also want to ask, right, you know, or just kind of add right before we end today's session in terms of um, physical and mental processes, like, because you do parkour, right? Mm. Um, would you say parkour is one of those things or sports that kind of force people to build a good mental process just because on one hand, it's quite, on one hand, you know, it seems like extreme sports, mm. but actually if you were to try it out, you realize that there are steps yeah. to doing the, the crazy stunts that we see on YouTube or right. in movies, right? Yep. And the initial foundational work is accessible to almost anyone mm. um, in that sense. And then, you know, of course that, and uh, when you start with parkour, would be, you know, one of the first few things I remember you guys would teach would be, um, kind of visualize something first. Yep, so yeah, yep, you kind yep. of, uh, you know, just kind of share, little, share with the audience a little bit on your own experiences, yeah. And um, I don't know, would you encourage them to do something like parkour or something that just also allow them to force themselves to already get into the good habit of uh, processing certain things mm. in a certain way, yeah. Okay. So, so unfortunately, parkour is also a tool. Right. Which means it does not teach you process or it does. Okay. Because I've seen people who practice parkour who just jumps. There's not, there is no awareness of the process, be it yeah, mental right, right. or physical or environment. I see, I see, I see. 
Um, so it comes down to the practitioner or it comes down to your coach or your teacher who, em who like, do they emphasize more on the physical or do they emphasize more on the mental? I see. So, and, th and that's also why recently I picked up rock climbing. Okay. Because rock okay. climbing really forces you to think because you need to think where do I put my hands, how do I move my hips. And again, right, there are people who just powers through. Okay. And then there are people who, the community in general, so rock climbing community generally are very self-aware. Self and, okay. and that is why naturally it comes up. I see. I see. Um, naturally, the community in parkour, not so much. To be very honest, yeah. not so much. And oh. that's why us coaches, we emphasize on the process. I see. Um, because of what you see on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's easy to get caught up and think that you're invincible. And especially yes. if you can if you have a bit of talent can work for you and against you if you think that oh i got that the first round i'm sure i can get that also just as easy that's where injuries come in sometimes and um or or if there's no injury sometimes the way they teach others mm. might be harmful to the person who not say they have less talent but they may need to go through the process um a bit more than somebody who you know kind of have that natural talent for better or worse uh. exactly exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah, precisely yeah, yeah. Um, so, so in, I guess uh, how I would sum it is in whatever we do today, um, it is a good idea to just stop, pause, reflect and ask ourselves, how did we get to this point? How did I know mentally to do this action mm, 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 mm. to get the result? Mm. And, and that's actually a very important question that a lot of coaches ask. Uh, recently, I was speaking to my own mentor mm -hmm. and he asked me, how did you know you want to be an entrepreneur in the future? Okay. I had this plan that in three years I'm going to start my own thing. Okay. Okay. And I paused for a moment, like, yeah, how did I know? How did I decide? Right. In three years I want to do this, and I was forced to think about the process and how I got there. Right. So the question how helps us unlock or be more aware of wow. our mental or physical process. Right. So before we do an action or take an action, to avoid be being impulsive, right. Just ask ourselves. How did I decide to do this? Okay. And see what comes up in your mind. Yeah. yeah. So how, how did you decide on the entrepreneurship? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that question is just so easy. You gotta learn it. Uh, oh man. Uh, so for me was how did I decide is three years number one. Um, the reason why I'm like why the first question I asked myself was why not now? Why three years? Mm. Why not now? Because I am learning something from where I am. I am mm. I'm digging deeper into this thing called organization development. It's an area that I spend, I didn't spend a lot of time in. Okay. So I spent a lot of time in L&D, in talent management, but OD, or organization development is mm. something, right? So it will take three years to see that happen because it takes time to develop an, an organization. So for me, three years is because of that. Uh, why entrepreneurship? Uh, because uh, I have been doing and I have been starting my own business on the side and it has been generating uh, income that has been quite sustainable. And how did I decide that was because when I started coaching people, mm -hmm. uh, personal coaching, I did get a lot of other companies and training providers approaching me and asking, hey, do you do full day trainings now? I, okay. And I said no, because you know, I'm still attached to a corporate job on okay. weekdays and I can't do weekday jobs. Um, but I found out that I have the network already to start That's off. Good. That's good. Okay. And the amount that's coming in is it's good. This good is better. Is better than what I'm getting, and I get more flexibility of time. Right. So those are the three things that made me decide that I can do it. Right. The network, the income, and the flexibility of time. Flexibility of time yeah. And why not now? Why three years? Yeah. 
because of the learning opportunity. Learning opportunity. So of the organization development thing, right? So right. these four things contributed. This was the mental process that I went through to decide my three years. Man, I love that so much though, because you know, I think it's, uh, you know, there's uh, the usual thing people would say, just jump and then kind of figure it out, which I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think everybody's journey is quite different. Mm -hmm. And the way you're doing it is also something that I think uh, is very commendable, but it's not, as what's the word people don't talk about it as much because it doesn't sound as sexy <laughs> as the guy who just quit his job today yeah yeah and, yeah, you know, yeah they struggled for 10 or 20 years and then you know so sometimes that's not necessary as mm, well you know mm. i mean you could just strategize a little bit more and then kind of just set um like i think the way you're doing it is, is again it's brilliant because you're kind of building the network and the business even before um, right you're taking i'm not to say minimal risk but you're you're cutting down the, the risk as you know like it's just calculated risk calculated yeah. risk which yeah. is it's still risk whatever it is but mm. yeah nice man nice okay uh, Marcus we're, unfortunately we're almost um, out of time right now but just before we end today I just want to end it with one um, final question which is what do you think are the role of organizations whether it be private or um, you know more of the kind of government kind of organizations uh, they should play when it comes to developing talent or developing the human resources that they have uh, yeah. what is the role of organizations or do they have any responsibility do you think to do that or do you think it's yeah. just one of those things that they feel that people just need to catch up you know technology is catching up everyone just mm. needs to be to figure it out on their own yeah yeah oh but that's a big one um i think i think so organizations have always invested or had the uh, priority in investing their talents. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think that one they need to keep doing. Okay. Um, I also believe that organizations would want to look at also now providing the mental health help that people need. I, I, I think there's a lot of emphasis on functional skills, on leadership skills. There's but there needs to be more and more emphasis on mental health. Mental health. Mm, right. Because of all the technology that's coming in, people are being bombarded with information, with work. People are working 24 hours because mm. digital businesses don't sleep. Mm, yes. So, yes. Yeah. yeah. So I always have this question. It is completely normal to do a physical health check once a year. Yes. Yeah. Why is it not normal to do a mental, mental health, health check? check. Right. Why is it not a policy that insurance provides? Right. That, I think, is an area that people need to start looking into before people really, really burnt out. I mean, people are already being yeah, burnt out, yeah, but yeah, yeah, more, yeah, yeah, yeah. more to come. And, and I don't think this is, you know, some people say sometimes that this is a new age, um, what do they call us? Uh, sometimes the strawberry generation? No, yeah. the, 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 the snowflakes. Yeah, 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 right? yeah. But technically, if you look back, even um, the old days, even from like early, early civilization, you've always had mental health without it being called mental health, right? You've had your say the village elder who yeah. you can go to and talk to your problems you know you have that person because um they're just known to you know, give good advice or keep good secrets mm. and that's an aspect of that human connection i think mm. that's mm. even more important today right mm. you know with um technology on one hand is creating more problems but i have had good connections because of technology you know i yep. have friends who i can talk to who live overseas right but you know there are problems that i sh managed to share with them that i found it difficult to share with people who are closer to you for whatever mm. reason sometimes you know yeah. because like maybe you feel that oh that person's far so um it's easier for me to be vulnerable you know mm. there's less uh, judgment yeah. in that sense but okay C can i just build yeah. on that i think sure. that's a good point just sure. two more things yeah. I, I that came up to my mind 
the, on the strawberry generation and right, snowflake generation right, right, thing. Right, yeah. I think number one, we live in a very different age compared to back then. Mm. Back then, life was definitely a lot simpler. There was mm. no social media. There's mm. not. There's this. There's there's an absence of this information attack oh, no, no, yeah. overload that now exists, and and so. Uh, not so fair to say strawberry generation because okay, yeah. they were never taught how to handle that information ah. because our parents also didn't have to handle and that yeah. yep. it's, true. it's new how could you say yeah one is weaker when you have a new problem altogether that nobody knows how to handle or manage right? exactly okay. and number two um, like you say back in the days people were a lot more connected right. and because they're a lot more connected they had to be faced with different opinions and learn how to navigate different opinions more back right. then because yeah. more dialogue That's right. today people are just consuming information not really challenging so when they get challenged in a workplace they don't know how to manage that that's true it's so true because that, that cubicle thing is a bit of a strange thing right it's a weird experience where you're just behind your desk and working all day mm. very small interaction Okay, okay, got it. Yeah. Okay, got it, got it. So, when, so when people feel like they get offended easily, it's not because, I mean, yes, definitely, yes, yeah, they get offended yeah. easily, but it's also because they were never taught or trained or not used to, to being yeah. challenged. Mm. They were only consuming information. Mm. They never actually partake in a dialogue. Man, okay. Okay, yeah. I love that so much. Marcus, I've learned uh, so much from uh, this podcast, honestly, um, and I've really benefited from it. I really hope that the audience as well, you know, um, benefited from this episode. Uh, but if they wanted to learn more from you or more about you, where could they do that? You know, like uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, where's your socials? Is it you're on LinkedIn? Yes, yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn. Just search for Marcus Lim. Uh, you will see other NLP coach or Lazada. Okay. Just on LinkedIn or on Instagram. My handle is coach.marcus23. I put out a lot of videos on how to overcome anxiety and self-doubt. Mm. Okay, so these are your two main platforms. Yep. All right, cool. All right, guys. So just be sure to check out Marcus on these two platforms. And uh, till the next episode, guys. Till then, Marcus, thank you very thank much. Thank you so much. Right. Really enjoy myself. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Bye, guys. Thank you for tuning in to Reka Narratives. For more updates, follow us on our social media at Reka Studios or visit our website at reka.re. See you guys on the next episode.